0: Yeah, I, I won't be able to live up to those expectations of what that just set up. So, um, man, I, I'm excited to be here. I, uh, God's doing just some amazing things here at Sheridan Wesleyan Church. And so before I jump into the series, I just want to talk about a couple of things. Um, the first is uh, with the Fuse fundraisers. Kylie didn't mention it, uh, and, and I hesitate to even say this, but the deal is if you— Um, The Fuse team, so they're going to Passion in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, And so if they raise the funds by November 30th, then on December 1st, I have to go and get my hair cut into some sort of mullet. Uh, And then I will preach with that mullet on December 5th. So that's the deal. Um, I will tell you, if I am eating the hottest tortilla chip with a mullet, I'm probably applying to go work at Vacutech or something. So just so you know. uh, Yeah, so uh, the, the other thing is the Bible in a year. I am super, super excited about this. If you are uh, new to Sheridan Wesleyan Church, if this is your first time here uh, several months ago, we as a church decided that in 2022, we were going to read through the Bible together from start to finish. And then we were going to take our time on Sunday mornings and talk about the things that we as a church body have read about. Uh, and, and we have been searching for a clever name for that. Uh, and this week as a church staff, it just kind of hit us that, hey, this is us fueling the fire. So we believe that God has called us to gather, encounter, and ignite. And we take all of those very seriously. I am passionate. We are passionate about knocking down the walls of this church and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in Sheridan and beyond. We want to ignite this world for Jesus. And the only way that I know to prepare ourselves for that is to fill up, to train ourselves, to be ready. And that only happens when we consume God's Word. And so that's the plan. If you have not already prayed through it, I would ask you to do that. Pray about uh, stepping into this. Uh, we're going to keep each other accountable, uh, and, and it's going to be amazing. I promise you God will do amazing things over the course of the next 12 months if you commit to doing this with us. Now, this sermon series, uh, The Real R-E-A-L Christmas. We're going to do something a little bit different here over the course of the next several weeks that that kind of takes me actually out of my comfort zone. You should know that. Uh, If I had my preference, I would simply preach through a book or a passage and that would be it. So topical sermons are a little bit more difficult for me. Uh, And so I I need you to understand kind of what we are trying to do and what we are not doing. Uh, It's really important that you understand the purpose behind this. So uh, we as a culture have been commercializing Christmas for centuries, for decades. I googled some, just some facts. Uh, so the first Christmas cards so that started in 1843, so that's kind of where this starts. Uh, 1880, the first glass ornaments uh, were available for, for purchase. 1920, uh, Coca-Cola ran ads featuring Santa Claus, and so that's kind of where that got its momentum. Then in, let's see, 1939, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, do you know where he came from? It was an ad for Montgomery Ward, and it just kind of took off from there. Actually, he was supposed to be Reginald the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Reggie the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I actually kind of like that better. Uh, 1960s, Black Friday became a thing. The 1980s, Black Friday became a big thing. 2005, with the uh, advancement of things like Amazon and internet shopping, Cyber Monday became a thing. And so we, as a culture, we we have we have commercialized this season. It doesn't just stop with those things. We've got uh, we've got music, we have traditions, we have movies that we'll talk about. Uh, all of these things that we do kind of take the focus away from the reason of this season. They they pull focus away from the real story of Christmas. And tension then is created inside of me. I think the church sits in that place of tension this time of year, and and I'm not really sure how we should or shouldn't respond. Because I think we have a couple of different options. I think the first thing that we could do is simply ignore it. Just just not celebrate the commercialization of Christmas, and just simply focus on this story, which I think is, is a fine thing to do. But if we do that, that means there's no Christmas trees. There's really no Christmas music, I guess, as we know it. We couldn't have Christmas sweaters. We couldn't do Christmas presents because it's real important if we're not celebrating Christmas inside the church, then we probably shouldn't celebrate it outside of the church. And so all the things, all the traditions that we love and that we've come to know, they just, we would have to put them aside. Again, that's a viable option, but I'm not entirely sure that anything about the commercialization of Christmas as far as the activities are inherently sinful. Now, they can be just like anything, but I'm not sure wearing an ugly sweater is sinful. <laughs> I'm not sure eating Christmas ham is sinful. I'm not sure that me giving you a present, you giving me a present, is sinful in its nature. And so if it's not sinful, then, then maybe we, we shouldn't avoid it. So what do we do? I think the second option we as a church have, and I think this is probably the best option, and where we're certainly going to sit here for the next few weeks, is we are going to take back Christmas, so so we'll celebrate it. We'll have Christmas trees. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Christmas movies. We'll talk about Christmas music. We'll, we'll have parties, Christmas parties, all of the things. But, but in that, we are going to show you that despite this world's best efforts, you cannot take Christ out of Christmas. It is his holiday. And so we're going to claim it. I'm really tired of this world taking things that are ours and making them their own. And so we're going to take it back. And to do that, we're going to look at four church-appropriate Christmas movies. Church-appropriate movies, right? Uh, Because we're not going to do anything sinful. Church-appropriate Christmas movies. And we're going to talk about how even in their, their stories, those stories, our story resides. They're there. You just have to know where to look. And so I want to do a couple of different things through this series. The first thing I want to do is I want to have fun. Uh, We are moving into reading the Bible in a year. And so so some of that, as we get into some of the books that maybe we don't all like to read, it could get a little monotonous. I'm aware of that. Uh, And so before we jump into that, we're going to have fun. We're going to get excited. The the next thing I want to do is I want to tell the real story of Christmas. And so each and every week as we talk about whatever movie that we're covering, whatever movie that's tied to the sermon, we're going to tell the real story of Christmas God's story. And the third thing I want to do, I think consequently, as we talk about these, maybe as you're watching these Christmas movies, maybe you'll be able to connect them back to the message that we preached, that we taught, that we talked about. So that when you're watching the Christmas story with your friend, or elf with your friend, or it's a wonderful life with your family, you can say, hey, you know what? Let me tell you how this connects to the real Christmas story. So we'll see what God does. So that's the plan. I think it should be exciting. Regardless, popcorn and Jesus can't be a bad thing, so I think think we'll make it through this next few weeks. So, um, the Christmas story. Who has seen this movie? Not as many as I thought. Goodness, okay. Um, So I'm going to spoil this for some of you then. I hope that's okay. So the Christmas story is a story about a, Child, His name is Ralphie, who desires more than anything else one specific gift. One gift. That gift is the official Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle with the compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. If you've seen the movie, you get that reference. That's all that Ralphie wanted. And he wanted it so much that it consumed him. Every part of his life was spent either dreaming or planning about what his life would be like when he receives this gift. That's all he wanted. And the movie builds tension over and over and over again. And just when you think that Ralphie isn't going to get his gun, guess what happens? At the very last moment, when all the other presents had been opened... His father says, hey, I think there's one more left. And when all hope was lost, he received the gift. Now, you don't have to think or stretch this too far to see the parallels between this story and the Christmas story. At its core, the Christmas story, so, so this Christmas story, not our Christmas story, well, I guess both. At its core, this Christmas story is a story of hope. That's what it is the tension that hope builds, the joy when when hope is realized. This is a story of hope, which if you know anything about the gospel and the story of Jesus Christ and his birth, like it's the same. It's a story of hope. So in our Bibles, we have the Old and New Testament. Old and New Testament. We all know that in the old and new testament it's divided up into different sections one of those sections the very end of your old testament is what's referred to as the prophetic books and there's a whole section of them in fact 44% 44% of your old testament is dedicated to prophecies And what that was, is it was God's way of communicating with his people. So God would send a prophet, he would communicate a message with the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel would then have to respond to whatever the prophet said. And so sometimes the prophets would deliver really positive messages, sometimes the prophets would deliver really negative messages, but in those prophecies, in those conversations that the nation of Israel had with the prophets, God made some very specific promises about what was to come. God created a space for hope to reside. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. This is a promise for a Savior. And not just a general promise but a specific promise that would have to happen a specific way by a specific person god's calling a shot isaiah also writes in chapter 9 verses 6 through 7 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord God, the Lord Almighty, will accomplish this. There was also promises made through prophets about where this thing would take place. Micah chapter 5, But you, Bethlehem, through you, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Prophets also predicted how Jesus would rule. Isaiah 11.10, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for All the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Just skip over to Isaiah 40. It says this uh, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. So not only do the prophecies or the prophets predict or promise that the Savior will come, where he will come and how he will come, but it also paints a picture of who will come before him. This text is referring to John the Baptist. Prophet Daniel also made some promises through God about what Jesus would do, how he would rule, what this would look like. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel has a vision, and he records it this way. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Again, very specific promises. So we we know how he's going to be born, where he's going to be born, to whom he's going to be born, what his life is going to look like. But they even continued, and they talked about how he would die. Isaiah Records, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our inequities or our sins, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The point in reading all of those texts is that God made very specific promises with the nation of Israel about what was to come. God created a space for hope to exist he handed over hope to the nation of Israel and then guess what happened got silent he went quiet so we have the luxury of flipping over our Bibles from the Old and the New Testament and it's, it's one page and so it's logical then to assume well that happened right after each other but the reality is it took 400 years after the last prophet for the birth of Jesus 400 years four centuries passed and god was silent no more prophets no more promises this hope that was once so powerful and so real and so exciting had had faded as time passes as generations pass 400 years to give you some perspective 1620 400 years From today, what happened? Pilgrims, Plymouth Rock. Did I get that right? Is that that the right history? I said the wrong thing for service. (laughs) 400 years. Now you imagine if the pilgrims had brought over a promise for each and every one of us, it would have been really cool in the 1500s or the 1700s. In the 1800s, it would have been faded. In the 1900s, it would have been simply a legend. And now we would have been, well, they must have been mistaken. That's exactly how I believe the nation of Israel was operating some scholars believe that those who taught religion and about god changed the way that they taught they changed their message because it had been so long since god had spoken to them hope was lost maybe they misunderstood maybe they misread generation after generation pass and the promise doesn't come to fruition But then everything changed. In a moment's notice, in a manger, because there was no room in an inn, the Savior was born. And guess what? The Savior was born in exactly the manner that God had promised to a virgin in Bethlehem. Everything that God had said came to fruition exactly, exactly as he said it would. Everything. Hope has a way, I think, of making us or breaking us. Like, hope can be a really positive thing in our lives, but I also think that it can cause a great deal of tension, especially when the hope that we have isn't realized in the manner from which we believed it or hoped that it would. See, the thing about the Christmas story and how Jesus came and the manner that he came, the time that he came, that it was very specific to God's plan. It it was God's will, it was God's way, it was God's timing. God's will, God's way, God's time. Everything happened as he said it would, the way he said it would, in the time that he was prepared to bring it. Perfectly. Now, now, sitting on this side of the story, we, we can look at it like, okay, fine, that's good. We're on the other side of it. But you have to imagine living in this time how difficult this would have been. If you lived 100 years before the Savior, 200 years before the Savior was born, how the tension would have built. This is, this is a very difficult thing to live out. God's will, God's way, God's time. It's counterintuitive to everything that I desire. Everything. Like, if I had my way, it's my will. It's my way. It's my time. If I had control of everything in this world, you better believe that I would do things the way that I wanted, during the time that I wanted, how I wanted. My will, my way, my time. Hope has a way of making us or breaking us. Especially when the things that we have hoped for, when the things that we have hoped for don't end up happening through our specifications or parameters so the reality of faith and hope when we talk about a faith or a hope that can either make us or break us the reality is that when your faith is contingent upon a hope related to my will my way my time so your will your way your time that faith will eventually let you down it's inevitable if those living before the Messiah was born if their faith was contingent upon Jesus arriving by a certain time then guess what happens when he doesn't arrive at that time their faith is lost or it's fractured. Hope has a way of making us or breaking us. It's the beauty of the Christmas story. It's what I love so much about, before we even get into the logistics of how Jesus was born or what happens after he was born, is the fact that that we have this story here that proves once and for all God is a God who honors his word. He's faithful. He he makes promises and he keeps promises. So it, 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 if you think about our lives imagine that this this is your life here all right so, so your life is, is in, this, in this quadrant. Uh, you're, you're born here. You die here. You, you have a finite number of days on this earth. Uh, and then I, I want you to imagine how God interacts with you and your life. Like, like what it looks like for him to be a part of your life. And so, so we know that God is eternal. And so he is, um, he's existed long before that we were born. We also know uh, that he will exist long after we die. And so he has always been. But the thing about God and how his will interacts with us or how he exists is that God's will, God's way, God's time, is that it's unwavering. It's consistent. It doesn't change. The, the psalmist wrote about this in Psalm, I, I believe it was 102. Uh, it says this, "'In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain.'" He's eternal. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. He's consistent. He's unwavering. Which is awesome when you think about it, that we have this static uh, relationship, this relationship with with a static being, a person who, who doesn't waver. The problem, though, at least as I see it in my life, and maybe, maybe this doesn't pertain to you, is that my life doesn't look like this at all. My life is more... That's what my life looks like. It's a mess. And so what happens when I'm up here or down here and God's static? See, see, if my hope, if my faith is contingent upon things working out my will, my way, my time, then inevitably my faith is going to fail. It's going to be fractured. It's really easy to have faith here. It's really easy to have faith in the moments that my life inter- intersects with God. So, so when I say a prayer and I'm asking for God to heal someone and that's God's will, that's God's way, and it fits God's timeline, and that person is healed, like, holy smokes, this is awesome. I'm on fire. But, but what happens up here? The same situation, the same relative, the same prayer, but because it doesn't line up with where God is... Well, then it gets difficult. It's extremely difficult. Hope. The hope that God asked for us to have, and I, the hope that I think is demonstrated through the Christmas story, is one that causes us, that puts us in situations to realize faith, no matter how far our plan differs from God's. Hope is staying consistent here the same as you would here. Understanding that there will always be moments, no matter how hard you try, where your life will not line up with God's will for it. It doesn't matter who you are, how faithful you are to to Christ. There are going to be moments when you pray for something and it's not going to happen the way that you wished, prayed, hoped. There are going to be times where the job is lost, the bank account is empty, the Spouse leaves you, the loved one dies, someone hurts you in church. There will always be those moments when life throws you situations that don't line up with God's will. Having hope, biblical hope, means that you stay faithful regardless of where you are. And and that's the beauty of the Christmas story. That's why it's so important that we acknowledge that this season is one of hope. See, the implications of God being consistent and static and unwavering and faithful are staggering. Because if if God was faithful here, if he was faithful here to bring the Messiah, his will, his way, his time, then that means that everything else he said subsequent to that is probably true as well. which which means that there's going to be a day when there will be no more death, no more fear, no more mourning, no more pain. That there will be a day that even if you have the inclination to cry, God's going to wipe that tear from your eyes. See, the hope of Christmas and, and what we have in stepping into this is a reminder that our God is faithful. He doesn't break his word It might not happen right when we desire it to happen. In fact, it probably never will. But if we can get to a place where we can lay our life down and trust his will, his way, his time, well, that hope has no chance of breaking us. No chance of breaking us. When your faith is contingent upon hope, related to my will, my way, my time, that faith will let you down. But when your faith is contingent upon the fact that God's promises are always kept, 400 years after they're made, 2,022 years after they're made, when your hope is contingent upon the fact that God. His promises are always kept. It will not disappoint you. It won't. So we talk about whatever it is, whatever it is that we're asking God to do in our life, whatever it is that, that we are hoping for, doesn't change who God is. How he responds to it doesn't change who God is. And you never know, you never know, maybe the thing that you were hoping for most is wrapped nicely in a present, just sitting over in the corner. It's just not time for you to open it yet. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, just gather together. For, for moments during our week where we could just pause everything in our lives and simply worship you. I thank you that, that, that we can do that together here, that, that we have a family, uh, this body of believers who are so passionate about following you that their, their testimonies are, are contagious for me. They, they make me want to step closer into a relationship with you. And I hope my testimony does the same for them. God, I thank you for hope. I thank you for the reminder that no matter what this world sends our way, no matter how good or bad things get, you are a God who's faithful to keep his promises regardless of where we are in our life. Help us hold on to that this Christmas season. Help us cling to that hope. Help us proclaim that hope. A hope that does not disappoint.